Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJoria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's Greg Anderson, the Gainesville Pro Stock winner, and Dean Antonelli, the Napa Crew Chief. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. We're talking nitro and race gas on this show. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 10,000s at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey everybody, Brian Lones here with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Got a couple of great guests this week in the form of Greg Anderson and Dean Antonelli. You know him as Guido. He's the crew chief of the Napa Dodge this year along with John Medlin. Going to talk to both of these guys about the start of their season and how the season will progress. There has been some great news in the world of NHRA Pro Stock in that the class has been added to the NHRA Southern Nationals at Atlanta Dragway. Uh, It has been announced and it is well known now that this will be the last running of the Southern Nationals at Atlanta Dragway as the track has been sold and will apparently cease being a track at the end of the racing season in 2021. Now, uh, if you're an Atlanta Dragway regular, a racer, a fan, you will have the entirety of this racing season to enjoy the facility. It will not be closing immediately after the national event. They're going to finish the normal racing program that they have lined out for this year, and then it will change ownership at that point. I do understand that NHRA is working on creating a special farewell farewell event for the track, which will be a, a spectacle to behold at the end of this year. You can stay tuned for information and updates on that i recommend following the track on social media to get all that information but we go to vegas before we go to atlanta and it is going to really be something uh, out there in vegas with the denzo spark plugs four wide nationals i happened to be in las vegas last week in an event called the spring fling a million which is a high dollar uh, high stakes bracket racing event that brought out many of the top bracket racers in the country including many nhra class racers who also participate in the bracket racing world a guy named kyle rizzoli who is uh, well known a multi-time national event winner managed to take victory on saturday evening winning thirty thousand dollars Earlier in the week, uh, Bo Butner, pro stock, former pro stock world champion, won a quarter million dollars of the um, of the kind of premier portion of this race weekend. So it was fantastic. Got to work alongside Nate Hershey, who I will be working alongside again, going out to the Denzo Spark Plugs Four Wide Nationals. He is a local to Las Vegas and has been the track announcer not only at the Strip but also around the NHRA National Event Tour now for several years. Super great guy, and I'm not sure I have uh, more fun working with anybody uh, other than Nate or outside of Nate. We just really click well together. Our styles work together, and uh, he's a very funny dude, and we had a lot of laughs out there in Vegas. It continues to be a strong rebirth for the sport of drag racing in 2021. I have seen events in different facets of the sport really since the the uh, dead of winter, and every one of those events has been impressive in its own way. There were about 450 race cars at the Strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway competing at the Spring Fling we- uh, Million last weekend, and I can tell you that they came from as far away as the East Coast. We had racers from Maryland and Virginia that had towed all the way to Vegas. Loads of racers from the Idaho, Montana, Utah, California region, Oregon, Texas, um, the the central part of the country in, in Kansas. I mean, we saw racers from literally 
all corners of the United States converge to go and do what they love to do. And it's been that way pretty much everywhere. And I hope it continues to be that way throughout this season as we continue to rebuild momentum and continue on and have not only a a fun season, but also a successful season. And uh, we put as many people into our events and into our facilities as we can, depending on what the local regulations are. As I was at the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, there was some measurement, some figuring being done in terms of crowd allowance, where people are going to be sitting, how closely they'd be sitting together, where they'd be able to uh, to do that in the grandstands, and uh, the percentage of capacity. I'm not sure if it has been publicly announced yet, but uh, it is going to be a pretty good-sized crowd out there in Vegas, which is going to be a great thing. The four wide races always draw tons of people. Um, Some of the people that race in them don't like them very much, but it's clear that fans do. And so whether we're talking about Vegas or Charlotte, uh, plan on seeing some good-sized crowds at those facilities, which is exactly what we as a sport, we as an activity, uh, thrive on and what we love to have and what we need to have out there. So the NHRA is every single place we go is adapting and abiding by the local regulations, adapting and abiding by the local codes and uh, various things that have been set into place by these different municipalities. Things that we saw in Florida um, may not be the same as we see in Vegas, or the things we see in Vegas may not be the same as Texas, or Texas to Atlanta, or you know the uh, the, the the whole entire country uh, has a slightly different approach to its reopening or to what outdoor events can look like or feel like. So the NHRA will change accordingly to match those regulations. Obviously, Gainesville is a great race, and it was a great race for both of our guests on this show. For Dean Antonelli, it was a great race because it was his first with Ron Caps, um, and his first kind of gelling with this this team that he and his crew and John Medlin have long been a part of. But Caps, a central figure as the driver, was the new addition, and they came out of the gate flying. They qualified well. They went rounds on Sunday, and I want to talk to Guido about exactly what uh, the evolution has been like for this team and what the can attribute his success uh, on Sunday at Gainesville too. And secondly, we're going to talk to Greg Anderson, who absolutely crushed it at Gainesville, came into Gainesville after a very strong uh, World Door Slammer Nationals in Orlando, came in, won the race, low ET, top speed, like old school WJ domination type stuff. I want to talk to Greg about what's going on over there at KB Racing. Clearly, they have an incredible program as his car was outpacing the field by shocking amounts in pro stock standards, the speed being uh, one of the things that was a jaw dropper a couple of times. And in conditions that weren't exactly, you know, horsepower central on Sunday, this car was still laying down just incredible runs, runs that would be very good in cold air, let alone the mid-afternoon on a 120-degree racetrack. So without further ado, I think we should get our first guest going here on this episode of the NHRA Insider. Dean Antonelli, you know him as Guido. He's crew chief in Ron Cap's car, of course, with John Medlin. Guido, how you doing, man? Not too bad. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I wanted to catch up with you guys because obviously one of the big stories coming into this 2020-2021 season is the fact that uh, you and John Medlin are now you know, in charge of the Napa car, which has obviously been the Ron Tobler mobile for a long time. Ron retires, and it seemed very natural to have the combined forces of you and Ron Caps and an experienced crew together. So let's talk a little bit about kind of getting the band together in the offseason and how, uh, how things shaped up to put together a pretty good weekend at Gainesville. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a blessing, obviously, for for Medlin and myself and our guys. Um, you know, with uh, the Chandler deal going away at the end of the season, Don had some irons in the fire for some stuff for Jack, and so he would retained us. And um, 
thought we were going to be able to put something together. And then in the end, Toadler kind of surprised everybody yeah. and announced <laughs> early retirement. And I actually thought I was getting called in Don's office to be let go. Wow. Because we didn't, we didn't have anything. And Ron said when Don told me that he was informed, you know, last night that Ron was retiring. And uh, so the Napa deal would be moving over to us. And Ron Toadler said, I just sat there with my jaw open and I'm like, yeah, cause that's not what I expected. That's not the scenario I saw come. <laughs> so it was a blessing and an honor, you know, to be able to be part of the Napa team and have Ron as our driver. And, um, obviously I'm following in Ron Tobler's footsteps, uh, you know, pretty big shoes to fill. You know, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, we make, you know, whether it's the media fans, whoever, make kind of a big deal of this idea that it's a, you know, it's it's a different driver-crew chief combination, a different driver-crew chief tandem, if you will. Um, and I'm guessing maybe it isn't. Maybe it's something we make too big a deal about. But talk to me a little bit about that. Like, obviously, you guys know each other. You've worked in the same building for 100 years now. But talk me through the first couple of weeks of the conversations you have with Caps when now, instead of just being teammates on separate teams, you are now a unit. So talk to me a little bit about those first couple of weeks and even the first couple of conversations. Right. Well, um, obviously the first few conversations that Ron and I, I had back and forth and also Medlin um, was excitement, um, excitement for the opportunity on our behalf and I'm excited to um, work with Ron. He's a, obviously a talented driver and proven. Um, and we've been fortunate to have had, you know, Jack the last four years, and he's done a remarkable job. He's a great driver, too, and hopefully he'll come back out here. <clears throat> but, you know, the driver slash um, crew chief type, I guess, marriage, um, it, it is a big deal when you make changes. Um, subtle things like how a, a driver um, eases the clutch out to back up from a burnout or roll forward or some guys just kind of feather it. Um, all of that changes how the car works, the clutch setup and all that stuff. Um, driver's controls are a big deal for drivers. Um, you know, they want to be as comfortable as they can. So they're not thinking about something's different. You want them just to be in there and be in a natural state. So our car was set up different than, than Ron's, um, I had a push brake in our car for, for Jack and um, Ron's never driven with one of those, which we laugh because Ron will drive about anything with wheels and nitro. In it. Right. And I'm surprised that all the nostalgia cars and stuff he's drove, nobody had a push brake. So, you know, I told him, I said, <clears throat> there was a couple of weeks where we were disconnected. You know, he was out West and we were here and we're trying to, you know, get the car ready. So, I told him, I said, we measured everything in Tobler's chassis and I'm going to put everything the same. And, and Ron was gracious to, uh, enough to give us like his steering box and, and stuff. Oh, cool. He has okay. a, a different, different angle. Um, so that kind of streamlined that end of it for us. But like throttle pedal angle, brake, push, pull, position, clutch pedal, fire bottles, reversers, all that stuff. Every driver has a little bit different, I guess, um, desire so i told ron measuring everything out of uh your cars last year and we're going to put everything like that and he's like nope and he says i'm going to drive your car how it is and he says you guys got a bad hot rod and so i don't want to change anything i'm so I, i'm like no you need to be comfortable so we go back <laughs> and forth you know? 
So whatever you want, we'll do. And so he says, no, he says, leave the push brake in. And I said, well, what I'll do is I'll put the mount so we can go either way and we'll start with the pull brake. So you're comfortable. And then maybe second or third day in the test and we'll put the push handle on it. And he said, don't even put the pull brake in it. I don't want none of that in there. I don't want to think about it. So he, I mean, he's very adaptable because he's driven so much stuff, you know? Yeah. That's really so, cool. So we left all that alone, throttle pedal and all that was really close. Um, our reverser handle was in a different place. Yeah. So he came here, uh, I don't know, a week before we went to West Palm, sat in the car, we refitted the, uh, seat insert, uh, a little bit more to his liking and, uh, did some different stuff with head padding. And, uh, we were all pretty pumped, um, when he left, you know, to go hit the gas, he was happy. We were happy. And we went to West Palm and I had a fairly successful test session. We didn't really throw down. We didn't run the morning runs, the evening runs, you know, cause more concerned about going up and down the track in the heat. And so we did, I think we made, uh, we made eight runs. It went six of the eight. Nice. And, uh, you know, track was between 98 and 115 on the runs we made, and they were all 94, 93, 92, 89, 89. Yeah, so, that's, that's great. And obviously, when we got to Gainesville on Sunday, we saw a racetrack that was, what, about 120 degrees during most of the day for eliminations, right? Yeah, yeah, it was um, warmed up a little bit up north, which it was uncharacteristically cool and, and windy and, and cloudy down south, you know, for that time of year. Usually it's in the mid eighties down there and it was like 72. So, um, it's a good thing that we tried to make most of our runs in the day. So it gave us a little bit of opportunity in Gainesville than I think some of the guys. So, you know, how important was it for, you know, this team to come out of the gate as well as you did? I mean, it was a, a nice put together round wins on qualified. Well, put together nice round wins, uh, on Sunday. Obviously this is a long season that there's going to be twists and turns and ups and downs, but, to just kind of get everything gelling, I would assume like having a strong first weekend really helps a new team, even though it's not a new team, you know what I'm saying? Like new elements of a team just really kind of cement themselves together. Right. Well, stepping into the, the Napa program and Ron Tobler's, you know, tenure, the last, I don't know what, eight, 10 years. Um, there's, there's pressure, you know, we're going to have to be up top quite often and we need to win as much as we can. And so coming out and, and qualifying well and and I down the track and running good numbers, um, we're really, really pleased. Um, I apparently had a little too much testosterone you know, when we smoked the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we were pushing a little, you know, but I actually thought it would go and it barely drove into smoke. It was, it was close, but, you know, it, that means only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes. Exactly. You know, what makes uh, what makes you and John Medlin such a good partnership, and, and what is the kind of division of labor on a, on a race weekend between the two of you? Um, obviously, biggest part of, of Medlin's and my relationship is uh, we start working together in 95, so we've got a really long relationship. Uh, I think we think very similarly as far as the approach. Um, we're real big on trying to keep the motor happy, you know, keep the engine and the parts happy. Uh, cause if it's happy, it will run better anyways. You know, <clears throat> we're, we don't typically just put a percent of tune up in it to run harder because 
our my experience his experience is you just start tuning it up but you just start beating stuff up so it's more a package clutch to engine relationship that we try and pick it up or slow it down with and um he's you know obviously eric uh was a you know his son and a great driver and ambassador for our sport you know and we lost him in 07 um eric was my best friend so we have a, a connection there you know and um so i just think we're almost more family than co-workers yeah, that's uh, it's a special bond that you have, uh, you know, with the time, and of course the personal, the personal relationship that has spanned over some incredibly highs and some very sad lows as well. So that definitely, that definitely cements you two together as a great team. And when we look at how you guys operate on a race weekend, uh, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. What are the responsibilities? How are things broken down between the two of you? Um, basically, uh, we kind of. Um oversee what each other does to make sure neither one of us missing anything so um we look at conditions of the run um time and we kind of look in our records and say you know i think the track says we should be able to run this um, at this temperature and uh so we'll target some runs like that we'll agree on you know what clutch timers and and flows we want to set and ignition maps and um, load that in the car. We'll do our warm up. We both download the the warm ups. We look at all the channels ourselves. That way, one doesn't miss something in the other. And and we'll discuss what we see after the warm up, and uh, make whatever changes we need. And, and pretty much the same routine after the run. We both download the runs individually. We don't necessarily say look at this or that until we both analyze the runs. And then we'll compare notes of what we think we should do and then make the adjustments uh, for the next session. And probably one of the biggest things I think a lot of fans don't understand, I, most all crew chiefs um, become novice um, weathermen. Because <laughs> <laughs> but being good at projecting what the air is going to be in, unlike qualifying runs, you know, two hours from when you put the head gaskets on it, which is a huge tuning tool for us and not something you can change quickly, obviously. Um, we run three or four different weather stations. Um, we um, crunch numbers on, on, you know, temperature and, and humidity to get the grains calculated and try and anticipate what's coming. Uh, because our combinations, everybody's out here, there's a, supercharger air ratio to compression ratio ratio and you can always change pulleys as the air changes but the motor's happiest in a particular pattern so um we all spend a lot of time you know watching the air and projecting so when we're done with this we're going to go to work for channel eight <laughs> well your level of accuracy may be better than the uh than the proclaimed professionals on uh, on channel eight anyway so you may have a le- <laughs> you may have a leg up on them you know yeah maybe <laughs> outside of uh, one of the things and and you you bring an excellent point here that there's a lot that uh that a typical fan necessarily doesn't see what's going on or maybe doesn't have the full picture of it one of the things i've always been fascinated about is during a typical race day um on a on a weekend where you go the distance and you go all four rounds and win a race i, I want to get into a couple of things the first one is what is the difference between what happens in your life 
let's say round one, the car goes out, you run very well, it's clean, very clean run, you're going to go to round two. Versus you go to round two, the car goes out, it's putting holes out, it spins the tires, whatever happens. What is the difference in the turnaround time for your life between a clean run set up the next round versus a ugly run that won a round? What changes for you? Well, basically the stress level between the two. (laughs) The big difference on Sundays is typically you you have about an hour. Okay, so when NHRA says you have 60 minutes between rounds, um, I don't know that fans realize this, but it's basically from when the last funny car goes through the lights for that round, um, we have 60 minutes. Well, that's when the last car goes through the lights. So like places like Sonoma, that's um, a little bit more painful to get back to the trailer. It takes seven to 10 minutes. Um, Brainerd, seven to 10 minutes. Well, so there's, now you're down to 50 minutes. Well, if it's a good clean run, you have a sense of confidence. And so, you know, when you're downloading the run um, and you're looking at everything, you know, you're just going to be looking for subtle changes for adapt for whatever conditions are coming, whether it's warming up, cooling down. And when it puts a hole out or, or knocks rods out or something, um, in that 50 minutes, you download the runs and analyze it. You know, you spend at least 10 minutes doing that. And you have to then immediately try and pinpoint what the factor was that caused the issue. And, so you have to put the engine back together, warm it, and be up there while you're down to 40 minutes after you download the run and analyze it. Then you have to calculate the air, what it's going to be in 40 minutes, and um, pick head gaskets, overdrive, you know, nitro percentage, <clears throat> get the guys putting the car back together while you're continuing to, you know, do you need to take fuel out of it? Is it overall rich? Is it a cylinder rich? Um, did it? porcelain close a spark plug so you, you start looking at the parts in this short period of time and then um you take the best um educated guess that you can and make the changes and so you're really on the pin going up there for the next round you know whether you fixed it or not and hopefully you turn the wind light on and there's no smoke trailing and there's a big sigh of relief is there any more satisfying feeling than getting that particular call right? Getting that, getting that call, going from a run that you know isn't your proudest work to going to a nice, clean, full power to the finish line pass back to back. Yeah, I don't know if it's more a thing of satisfaction or just a comfort level that you're back in the window the car should be. You know, like a confidence builder going to the next round. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing, and I almost broke out into a sweat when you were telling that story, man. It's neat to hear it as, like you said, that there are factors that even I had not taken into consideration, and the fact that, that it has been science down to the point where you understand minutes-wise what the typical return time is from the top end is kind of amazing as well because obviously I know that's part of the drill, but I had never thought that, uh, and obviously you have to, you you time that out for pretty much every racetrack. Right. Yeah. All of that matters. And so the crew guys prepare for differently, maybe for some tracks, the other, uh, maybe a, a little bit, um, maybe more pre-serviced, uh, stuff like instead of having time to inspect the rock arms and adjusters, we'll rotate another set in, um, between rounds, I'll save a couple minutes. So depending upon where you're at, we could change how we do our, our services and stuff. 
you know, you've been uh, in this world for, for a very long time, and you're a guy who has put in his time at almost every position possible that can be on a team. What has changed most in the lives of the crew guys? When you when you look at, at your crew guys as a crew chief now, and you think about when you were in that in that department, you were when you were in that mode of your life, what's changed a lot for them? Um, probably the depth to their job. You know, it's when we were crew guys, um, there was, well, in John's car in 95, there was five of us on the team. And, um, now most teams are seven to eight. Uh, and the reason for the change is two things. One, we used to have 90 minutes between rounds and two, the wasn't as much in-depth service. So like from night, the nineties to now, it was kind of similar routines. I mean, you still had to, you know, take the wax apart, inspect all the parts, put them back together. Um, valves come out of the heads, check the springs, um, CCs, valve drop, all that stuff, all that's the same. But now back then, if coil wanted to change the tune up, um, make more power, it was a 10,000 head gasket change or 15,000 head gasket change would be a, a move. Now the car sees 3,000 yeah. of a head gasket change. <laughs> so everything is way more critical, how you measure things, um, uh, the life expectancy of parts, you know, the attrition rate's a little higher, um, things like that. So um, there's... M- less time and more to do than when we were crew guys as opposed to the guys now yeah it's pretty interesting and it's uh, the whole thing's an evolution and it's um it has to be interesting for you to have evolved with the sport in your own career and just kind of watch these things progress and last question what is the thing that surprises you most or what is the thing that in 2021 if you were able to go back and, and grab that kid in the 90s who was wrenching on these cars and tell him what was going to be happening in 2021? What's the thing that would have blown that kid's mind the the, the, the most? Uh, just to be as most observant as you can if you want to make this a career because the guys, there's lots of guys like me out here, you know, um, the Oberhof brothers and all, all these guys all started as, you know, crew guys. And the ones that paid the most attention to and attention to detail and followed through and took direction uh, from the crew chiefs are the ones I think that have advanced and made crews out of it. Yeah, it's cool. That's a great, uh, it's a great way to put it. And it's, you know, you've worked for a lot of, uh, a lot of great people over the years and you've been able to, you've been able to learn things from them and apply it to your own life. And certainly with, uh, with great success, it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, watching you, John and Ron and the rest of your crew this year with the Napa colors on the race car. It uh, was a flying start for you. And I look forward to seeing you in just a couple weeks in Vegas, man. Absolutely. We're, we're going there, uh, with the trophy in mind. So can't wait. Thanks Guido. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks. Great conversation with Guido there. And what's so cool about it is the insight he gave us, you know, just thinking about things like timing the car back from the top end. Uh, Obviously, it's a consideration of time, but I should have known better to understand that all these teams likely have a book on every single racetrack and even down to the details of how long it's going to take to get the car back. You heard him talk about how they actually tailor their preparations, tailor their pre-service preparations for those situations. Really fascinating and interesting. And that scenario he gave us where he kind of walked us through the countdown of time during a service 
almost made me sweat as he was telling the story. A guy who's making a lot of people sweat in the pro stock category this year, just to his satisfaction, of course, is Greg Anderson, the guy who went out there and really put on a show at Gainesville. Greg Anderson, our second guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider. How you doing, sir? Doing great, Brian. How you doing? Doing really well, and um, obviously I want to catch up with you as we had some big pro stock news announced this week that the class has been added to Atlanta, which uh, is great news for you because that's almost a local race, man. It is. Three hours away, so we can uh, we can stay home a little longer. We can get home quicker. Almost like a hometown track anymore. you got Charlotte here local. Well, that's, that's, that's the next closest one, Atlanta, so we hate it like heck to lose it, and uh, it's great to be back. And it's certainly a place that you have had a, a load of success at over the years as a driver, as a crew chief. Uh, certainly a place that I'm sure, the, like you, like everybody else, me too. I'm sad to see the place going away, but I'm glad we're we're going out with a bang. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to have to make the most of it. I got a lot of uh, a lot of memories there. You know, a lot of laps up and down that racetrack, working with Warren Johnson, and, and a lot of time spent there. It was definitely you know home track for me for a lot a lot of years, and, and uh, you know it's it's I know it well. So. I always love going back there. I always love racing there, and it's kind of a shame that it's going to be the last one, but just means we're going to have to make the most of it and make a lasting memory here. You made a uh, you made a lasting memory and certainly made the most of Gainesville, man. I'm not sure as a racer, as a guy who takes as much pride in, in this as you do, I'm not sure how it gets any better. You win the race, you get top speed and low ET. I mean, that's running the table. I did. It, it was good. You know, we qualified number one. The car ran great all weekend and, and, and set up that, that dream day. I've never actually, in all my great years of racing, I've never actually had a victory on, on my birthday. And it, it happened to be my birthday that Sunday and, and gave myself a birthday present. So pretty darn cool. Pretty darn, I've never given myself a birthday present before. So I guess I feel a little bit, uh, you know, maybe a little bit selfish giving myself a birthday present, but it was a heck of a one to give yourself. No, it absolutely was. I mean, it was, and, um, you know, one of the things that struck me as being impressive was just how strong the car was in the heat and how strong the car was on a 120-degree racetrack. So I want to talk a little bit about that because, obviously, there are weekends where, you know, we have these astronomically incredible conditions and, and guys like you are able to take advantage of them. But is it even more satisfying when you can make the thing run that hard when it isn't ideal as far as making the power? Well, it is, and especially to the crew chiefs and the crew guys. That that's that's their pride and joy. You know, when we get tough conditions like that, that they can master it. And, and we've come a long way in the last year or so since we swapped cars. We've definitely done a better job, and we've learned a lot more about race day and the and the different nuances you see on race day and what you have to go through and and you know make the proper adjustments. So it's uh, it's always a learning curve and it's always a challenge, but we passed it. With flying colors down there, we'll see if we can do it going forward. We've definitely learned a lot, you know, learned how to make four quality runs on race day, which has been a while since we've been able to do that. So that's what it takes anymore to win. You can't have any clunkers anymore. You're not going to get by with a so-so effort. you got to have a great effort every time up there, the way this class is right now. So uh, we were able to do it. And hopefully we can continue that, you know, in the future. You know, success always tends to build on success. And I know that, um, you know, sleep is not something that uh, occurs for anybody at KB Racing <laughs> during the season. Um, you're always working. So let's talk a little bit about that. I understand, or I would guess anyway, you're going to test before you get out to Vegas. You're going to test before we go to Atlanta. When you have a fast car, testing probably has a little bit of a different look than when you're trying to figure out a problem, right? It probably does, and you know, we're actually out testing today. I'm getting ready to make the first lap here today, but it's 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 always you're never good enough, Brian. You know, you just got to find a way to keep getting better because your competition does. No matter what everybody had at the last event, you can expect somebody to be in better shape 
when you show up at the next race, especially being, you know, a month later yeah. since we've raced Gainesville, that's a lot of time for people to, to learn things and, and make gains. So you gotta, you gotta take advantage of that time you get in your shop. We love working in our shop. We love going to the racetrack and testing. And, and you know, the, the whole goal of that is trying to bring a better product to the next race you go to. And, and you never, you just never, you can't sit on what you have. You've never been able to do that in this, this class. And I certainly learned that with all the years I work with Warren that, uh, you know, you, you got to keep going forward. You just have to keep pushing and you got to find a way to get better, get better, get better. You're never, uh, you can never sit on what you have or you'll get passed by in a hurry. Man, I'll tell you, a guy that uh, I think impressed a lot of us out there was Dallas Glenn. You know, you really, uh, as a as a rookie, as a guy who, uh, you know, in theory has not raced at a national event in a pro stock car, really came out there and did a fantastic job. I know he's got experience in the seat away from the limelight, so to speak, but man, he did a great job. He did, really did, and, and you know, we, he way surpassed expectations. We knew that he'd probably take it fairly quick because he seems to be, you know, on his game. Everything he tries, no matter what he drives, no matter what he does, uh, what he plays, what game he plays, he always, <laughs> he's always found a way to be really good at it. So we expected big things, but I don't think anybody can, can say they really expected him to do as well as he did, and you could not tell that he wasn't a seasoned, grizzled veteran when you watched him, you know, make his burnouts and his runs and his stage and procedure, the whole deal, you couldn't pick anything apart with, with his whole process. So he looked like he's done it many times, and apparently he has done it many times in his mind. And, uh, you know, that worked out for him. So he's uh, he's a threat to win instantly, and, and you just don't see that anymore. So very proud of him and, uh, you know, very proud to have him added to the team. And, and, you know, you just never know. He might just grab himself a win here coming up. Well, it's going to be interesting from your perspective, too, because you've, you've in some way, shape, form, or fashion kind of lived that moment with that he did. You know, you've had that moment where you kind of transition from, uh, you know, you hand somebody else the wrench for a weekend and get in the seat. And so uh, did he have any conversations with you before that weekend or you with him about anything, or was he pretty much locked down going in? He was pretty much locked down, but when I look at it in the rearview mirror, it's pretty much identical to the road I took, you know, to get where I'm at. I was a crew member and a crew chief for a lot of years and, and just kept looking and waiting for the, the opportunities. And, and, you know, it, it, it took a few years longer than probably you would have wanted. I'm sure it has for him, too. But in that time that, that you're wanting and waiting, you're going through it in your mind. And, and he's obviously been doing that, and he's been doing a great job of it. And I'm telling you, it's impressive to watch. And, and I didn't even realize when it was when it was going down the first weekend when he first made the runs. But it's it's basically the exact same path that I took. So kind of cool. And, and there aren't many people that have done it that way, you know, that have, that have gone through the whole deal of, of working on every part of the race car before they become a driver. So it's uh, it's kind of a neat avenue. I certainly am I'm partial to it because that's how I came. And it's neat to watch. So let's talk a little bit about the fact that obviously uh, you know Jason has fully transitioned into his role, you know, in in the support role now in the in the shop. I know he was at the racetrack at Gainesville, but uh, what kind of contribution has Jason made to the success of your car? And really, the KB fleet itself was fast. I mean, there was there was not anybody that was lagging that was running KB power. I I think that's the big difference right there, Brian. Now we're we're you know we don't have one or two strong cars out of the five. We have five strong cars out of the five, and it's helped a bunch with that he was definitely probably spread a little too thin before trying to tune all those race cars and drive a car at the same time and he certainly got more time on his hands now more time to think about it more time to do the things he couldn't do when he was driving the car so it's going to help that way for sure it's going to spread the love all through the team and it showed you know these first two events at the orlando uh, door slammer nationals and at gainesville you know that we've got five cars 
that can absolutely uh, challenge for the win on Sunday, and, and you can't honestly pick a favorite out of the five. As we look at uh, your win total, it continues to increase, obviously, with this win at Gainesville. How much focus do you put on the you know, the magical, I'm going to call it 98, because 97 is a tie. How much do you put on that magical 98, which now you're really within spitting distance of? Well, to be honest with you, it's kind of it, it's become a back thought because I haven't been able to win for a long time. Right. So I kind of forgot all about it. And, and now when you finally have found a way to get back to, to victory circle, now, now you start thinking about it again. Maybe it is possible. I, I'd almost given up on it before, and, and now I'm starting to believe, well, maybe it is possible, you know, to be get done. So now you think about it a little bit more. I don't, uh, I, don't, I don't spend every waking hour thinking about that, but absolutely after that win, I thought, you know what? Maybe things are different. Maybe things are, are looking up this year, and maybe I'm going to have a chance. Maybe I can still do this. So I, I would love to do that. I would love to get that magical number. I'd love to get a hundred. That's yeah. even a more magical number. But you know, you got to take it one race at a time. And uh, I, I've always said this: you never know when your last race is. Last win is your last win. So you got to keep digging and keep focusing and just keep trying to get that one more, just one more. Just try to get one more, and that's all you can do. Last question before I let you go: getting your race car. Uh, we saw Race Race Star Pro on the side of the uh, on the side of the hot rod, and that's a company that uh, that you guys have embraced. I mean, they're a wheel manufacturer and a pretty innovative wheel manufacturer, and you have uh, you've had their product on uh, on your race cars for a couple of years, both you and Jason when he was in the seat. Uh, are we going to see a rotation of names on the door? Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's probably the plan going forward. We, you know, we're in, a, in an all out search for for a main sponsor to be on that door full time, but in the meantime. Until we can, can can get that done, we're going to probably have some different names on the door. And, and you know, Race Star was at the top of our list of who we'd love to put on the door first. They've been great for us. They've been a fantastic partner for the last couple of years. They built a great product, and they're great people. LB Davis and his gang are just wonderful people, and they've treated us, you know, wonderfully over the last couple of years. So it was an honor to carry it and an honor to write it to Victory Circle. So. We're happy. He's happy, and, and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime this year with the race star callers. But we'll probably see a few different ones coming up in in the near future. You know, until we can can land that uh, one that stays on there all year. Sounds good. Greg Anderson off to a flying start here in Pro Stock. Super great that the class is going to be contested at the Southern Nationals this year as well. And uh, good luck in your test session, man. I appreciate it, Brian. We'll see you in a week or two. Yes, sir. Thanks, Greg. Greg is driven. Greg is motivated, and Greg is looking for that career. 97th win to Ty WJ, 98th puts him ahead, of course, and 100 seems possible. It's it's interesting as how he mentioned that, you know, in times when you can't put the wins together, it seems like you're never going to get there, and you almost convince yourself to stop even dreaming about doing something like that, and then all of a sudden you have a performance like he did in Gainesville, and it becomes abundantly clear that not only can he win, he now has the car to beat in NHRA Pro Stock for 2021. So there you have it, two guys that have been in the sport of drag racing for decades, two racers who have on the crew chief side and on the driver tuner developer engine builder side have done so much and have learned from the greats and applied that knowledge to become really top shelf professionals in this world of nhra camping world drag racing thanks for listening to this episode of the nhra insider podcast i hope you came away with some insights from both of those drivers we'll be back next week with more conversations as we continue to inch our way closer to the denso spark plugs nhra four wide nationals please go to nhra.com for ticketing information there are tickets still available 
because of the fact it will be a reduced seating capacity, it is expected that the event will completely sell out of that reduced capacity of tickets. So if you want to see one of the greatest spectacles in all of motorsports, certainly one of the big spectacles of the NHRA season, make sure you head to NHRA.com and grab your tickets for Las Vegas today. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. It is always my pleasure to bring you inside the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing and get stories and insight from the greats that are competing week to week. The seasons just get warmed up, so aren't I. We'll be back next week with a new show. 